before we go any further, a quick announcement, and we thought we would tell you, the listeners of the podcast, all about it first. A blog to watch is hiring. We are looking for a social media manager to look after all the Instagram, Facebook, comment section on the website, all the social media stuff that you can think of. So if you're interested, get your CV together and any relevant experience and email the boss man himself, Ariel, at ablogtowatch.com. We really look forward to hearing from you. So with that done, back to the show. Hey everyone, Ariel here from A Blog to Watch. I'm joined by Richard, and we're going to be talking about my trip to Dubai Watch Week 2021, full of a lot of interviews I recorded on scene. Yeah, Ariel's already given me my Sunday name. I'm normally known as Rick. Last time I was on this show, uh, in fact, the last episode that was out of this show, I was with Scottish Watches. I now have a new show called The Wind-Up Merchants, but for the next few weeks, myself and Ariel are going to be pulling out some of the gold of the interviews that uh, he made while he was in Dubai Watch Week. But let's get started by asking a very simple question. Ariel, how was Dubai Watch Week? Well, it was really, really exciting. I think that Everyone was so excited to be back at a watch event. For many people, it was the first show that they have been to since the pandemic. And it was also the last show for a lot of people since the the, the pandemic began. So it's actually very interesting that it's in addition to something people have been looking forward to, also a strange reunion of sorts. So I think everyone had a really, really good time. Very activity packed week. Thank you for asking. And did it feel like everyone just slipped straight back into the old ways from... 18 months ago? That's an excellent question. And no, not at all. I would say that a lot of people, especially towards the beginning, were a little bleary eyed, sort of as though they had just crawled out of a hole after some (laughs) hibernation. And that's very really what happened to many, many people. We haven't seen a lot of each other. And people had to become reaccustomed to things like social skills and being around other people. By day two or three, it was fine. But you could definitely tell that it was different from the times where people were used to interacting all day long. Yeah, I think as we go in with these interviews, we will pick out quite a few people who became hermits behind their workbench and their workshops and those who effectively took some time out as well, perhaps within some of the bigger brands. So this particular show, we're going to bring you interviews from uh, the Siddiquis. We're going to bring you interviews from Christian Hagen. Uh, we have some watch brands as well, including Oris and Davide Serato from HYT. But we're going to start actually by apologising for the audio because this was all done on location. Sometimes it was recorded outside. Sometimes it was recorded with music in the background. And sometimes it was just recorded in a way that Ariel had forgot to switch it on. But uh, we, will, we will get on with it. Uh, stick with the audio. It is good. It's great content. And we will come back for a quick chat after the first interview, which is with Hind Siddiqui. Back at Dubai Watch Week 2021, and I'm very honored to be sitting with Ms. Hind Siddiqui, the Director General of Dubai Watch Week. Thank you, Ariel. Thank you. Thank you for this. You are a very, very popular person at this show. Uh, many, many times during my interviews, people specifically thank the Siddiqui family as well as you personally. You are essentially the organizer. I guess the first question is, back when you first started Dubai Watch Week several years ago, what was your goal? Look, when we started, we never knew we were going to be this big, to be very honest with you. Our goal was to, to bring people together to explain to them and to show them why we love watchmaking. 
So initially, we, we used to always get asked, you know, why do you guys love the watch industry so much? Besides it being your bread and butter, you know, what is it? What is it about the industry? And we started asking ourselves this question, why are we in love with the industry, but others are not? And then we found out it's because they don't get it and they don't have the access that we had. We had access to CEOs. We had access to watchmakers. We had access to enamelists, engravers. Um, so we had all that back of house access that no one had. So we felt, okay, you know what? That's what we need to do. We need to bring these people who made us fall in love with the industry to the general public and accessible to the press so that people can fall in love with this industry. So we started we first started by taking a few potential clients to watch manufacturers in Geneva and we saw that it worked. It worked and people used to either fall in love or appreciate the industry or the brand they they visited. So So we said, you know what, let's try to bring a piece of that experience to Dubai. And that's where we created Dubai Watch Week. And there's another thing that we also noticed and sensed is that they the CEOs and you know the brand and the watchmaker were not talking to each other and sometimes they used to share the same problems and the same issues uh, they all all they need to do is just to sit together because maybe the solution that they're looking for is with someone else and that's all they had to do is talk to each other and that's how the horology forum was created it was created to start conversation and dialogue and today we've we've evolved even with the topics we started with with a small horology forum with 30 seats only um, and today we are 100, 100 seats and sometimes we have we have people standing. So we evolved slowly, slowly, but we evolved because people understood what we want and we were ready to offer them a platform. Dubai Watch Week has grown, as you said, and many people are saying it's the most important watch show. Many are saying it's their favorite watch show. Has any of the success surprised you? I don't think... Sometimes, yes. Listen, they've even dubbed us the disruptors of the watch exhibition, uh, you know, watch industry exhibitions. And we never intended to be the disruptors, to be honest. We had a mission, and, and the mission was to, to, to become a platform where people can learn from and exchange information and transmit knowledge. Um, we never thought that we would disrupt giants like Basel World and Watches and Wonders and 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 so many others. Um, so I won't say, I won't tell you we 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 planned it to be this way. We really just took feedback and built on it. And we're, when we'll continue to do that, and uh, I don't know what's going to come next. But but our promise is we will keep giving the industry what it needs if this format is not going to be valid in the next couple of years then we promise to rework it and change it and deliver something that works and this is what makes us different than the other than the other exhibitions is our agility and it, and the fact that we control everything we're not controlled by a group we're not controlled by you know anyone who's dictating a certain model that we need to follow and that gives us you know the chance to maybe survive a little bit longer. A lot of people are praising the show as being specifically non-political. Mm-hmm. Um, they talk about how a lot of the big trade shows in Switzerland, especially, had a lot of political elements. And my curiosity is, what was the strategy um, that you implemented to make everybody here feel so cooperative, as opposed to potentially combative, as is often the case in the more historic trade shows? Yeah. Well? 
It wasn't easy. When we started, we started with seven brands and we started with the independent brands. Um, so the independent brands understood and they were hungry anyway for a platform to, to, to showcase their talents. Um, and then slowly, slowly, it, I'll, I'll tell you, it wasn't easy to convince the big brands that are inside the big exhibition area uh, to, to all have a unified booth and sizes that we dictated. And then you know, some of them wanted even a bigger size. That's what we have. That's the offering we have. Just trust us, and you know, and do what you know what we're proposing, and go with the flow. Uh, it wasn't easy, and some of the brands hesitated at the beginning, um, but now they get it and they understand why. And I think the endorsement of Rolex in 2019 with their presence even showed, you know, the industry that it's a message. You know, there's something happening there. Pay attention. Um, so. It's get it, and it's still challenging at sometimes, especially you know when you try to convince the brands to come with with something creative to do inside the creative hub, or even convince them to sit on a panel and 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 answer the tough questions. Um, but I think they get it and they're starting to learn, so it it will get easier. A couple of years ago, um, after I initially realized how successful this was, you and I had a conversation about the potential opportunity of Dubai Watch being traveling exhibition and yes. no doubt other people have mentioned this to you before. Yes. Um, what are your thoughts on Dubai Watch Week being something that isn't just in Dubai? Yeah. I don't think we, we are not we are not ready to do that at the moment and there's no need for it. If we felt that there is a need for Dubai Watch Week to be somewhere else, like I told you, if this format does not work and we need to be somewhere else, we will we will study, you know, what we have to do and we'll work around. But today there's no need for us to leave Dubai. The fact that it's in Dubai it, it gives it that charm as well. There are things that we can do in Dubai, uh, you know, the government support we receive in Dubai, the infrastructure that the city offers, all of these things make it possible for us to deliver what you're seeing today. What what is tra what is traveling is the horology forum. As you know, in 2018, we had we 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 went with the horology forum to London. 2020, the plan was to also have the horology forum in another city. However, the pandemic hit, and now in 2022, we are we are you know scouting and we're looking and we have we have our eyes on few cities and we'll start traveling in January, Feb to see what we can do. So that is traveling, but not the Dubai Watch Week, uh, not yet. Understood. The last event in 2019 was for many people their last international trip before the pandemic. And now in 2021, for many people, including myself, it's the first international yes. trip after the pandemic. I'm sure that there's been many emotional interactions you've had and stories for people that just feel so good to have left. Talk a little bit about some of the sentiment that you've been seeing from the many yes. guests here in Dubai. See, we've been lucky because we're, we are as per schedule. You know, we were scheduled to come back in 2021, and we're lucky that we, we, we came back at the time. We promised people to come back. When we announced that Dubai Watch Week is going to be a physical event, that's where the emotions came out more than, you know, even here on site, but that's where we felt it. Everyone was so happy. Um, people started posting, you know, throwbacks of Dubai Watch Week and what they were doing and, and all of that. And that was emotion. And we were like, oh, my God, they really miss us, you know, so we better not disappoint and give them the same experience they, they've had in 2019. And they're going to enjoy it even more because they haven't seen each other for, for a whole year. Um, you know, like seeing friends, seeing, seeing, you know, seeing the joy of people meeting each other and hugging each other, you know, again, and partying with each other at night and enjoying their time. It's, it's, it's nice. It's nice to see friends come back together. 
And speaking on behalf of the larger Siddiqui family, what is some of the family sentiment about being able to not only host again and demonstrate your hospitality, but seeing all the faces? I'm sure it's been an emotional experience for your family. So we love it. We love the fact that, you know, we have our friends back. Um, I think um, I, I'll, I'll count the number of guests we had in 2019, but I'm 100% sure that our guest list of friends is, is longer than what we had in 2019 because we missed them and we want them to be with us here in Dubai Watch Week. So we worked really hard to make sure that everyone you know the whom who we love are here um, we you know all the family members from our chairman you know to our vice chairman to every every single person who works at the company is here on site no one's in the office so it's we we, we although we op we 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 open during weekdays and 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 we only have one weekend in the middle but even the weekends they can stay at home and say you know everything's running smoothly why why do we have to be there but they're here because they are also happy to see friends and today the friends are not only friends of the family members but they're also friends you know over the team members you know like you have Shruti um, you have Sarah you have all of the team members Prabha and everyone all from the hospitality team they also make friends even if it's from behind the screen and through an email but it's a you know they're making friends and and the nice thing is for people to go like who's who's Shruti I want to see Shruti or who's Prabha you know because she does my, my she did my my ticket booking so for people to also want to see the people who were helping them throughout you know the planning stage is also something very nice you mentioned that you wanted to be a disruptor or at least other people said that Dubai yes. Watch Week was a disruptor and European watch shows have necessarily had to go through a lot of disruption I'm wondering if people um, from Europe have asked you for advice they said and you've done such a good job with Dubai Watch Week do you have any advice for us on how we can make our shows in Europe even remotely close no I'm going to be very honest. No, no one ever. And um, I publicly, uh, you know, proposed uh, to assist Basel World in 2019 with their forum. Really? Uh, yes. And I did it in the panel. And if you watch the YouTube panel, you'll see when I said to Melikov, don't start your own horology forum. We will come to Basel. You know what I mean? So the spirit of collaboration, I don't think, is there yet with the exhibition or the or the people who you know work on these exhibition uh, exhibitions so no it seems like it's inevitable because the amount of times that people have credited you especially with creating such a good event no doubt is being taken back to switzerland yeah. and especially right now look i don't claim to know how to solve their problem <laughs> to be very honest with you, because they have a lot of a lot of other issues that put them in the situation that they're in, and one of them is the lack of support from the cantons or the cities they're in, and that's something I cannot I cannot you know uh, brag to say you know I have the solutions for we but we're more than happy to sit with them you know and and brainstorm ideas and or 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 share with them um, the the feedback we've heard from the press and how we were different from them. Another thing we don't want these exhibitions to do is to copy. You know, don't try to replicate what, what other exhibitions. Find your space, own it, and work on it. You know what I mean? Because that's, that's going to cause another failure. So um, um, it's, not, it's not an easy situation they're in. And I can't, I can't say that we have the solution for them. But I know with that with, with dialogue and with conversation, ideas can come up. And we're open if anyone wants any feedback from us. Even if they want to know how we do things, we're open to discuss it. As per the two-year schedule, the next Dubai Watch Week is, of course, scheduled to be in 2023. Mm -hmm. 
are you trying to grow the show and include more brands, or are you very happy with the size of that right now? Well, uh, this, is, this is a very difficult one, because we are very happy with the venue we're in, and we've already utilized, you know, most of the spaces in the venue, uh, and I know there are more brands that want to come. Um, and we have a policy of first right of refusal. So if if Rolex wants to stay, then they get to stay. If AP wants to stay, then they get to stay. So it's going to be very difficult to see how we can accommodate other brands. We will find solutions. We will try to find ways. But the fact is we're not going to move from this venue f- maybe for a couple of more editions. Going back to the Dubai market, and we spoke about this uh, as well, during the pandemic there was a lot less travel, so a lot of the retail focus needed to be on the local clientele. What special strategies did the group potentially employ to help create more communication, more relationships with Dubai locals? We activated a service that we never had before, which is the home delivery service. So in Dubai, when there was a lockdown, you sh- you you, were, you you had to apply. If you're a business, you had to apply for a permit mm. uh, to, to drive on the roads. And we applied for that because although people were at home, they still wanted to shop. And we took advantage, and not me personally, but my cousin took advantage of introducing those people to the independent independent brands. They knew them, but they probably were not ready to, to purchase them. But at that time, they were the only brands who were ready to deliver. You know, they were still launching. Max launched in the middle of the lockdown, the Bulldog watch. Um, so we took advantage of, of that. And then with, and the nice thing that happened, the dormant clients that haven't bought any watch for a very long time had no choice because they were not traveling, so they had no choice but to shop locally. So we gained the new clientele or, you know, dormant clients who, who came back to us. And and it was it was amazing to see that the that the that the local community itself was enough. Last question. Lots of watch brands have been making special editions for this region, especially uh, for the Siddiqui group to, to sell, and many of them are fantastic. What type of advice do you give the brands when they ask you, we want to make a wonderful watch for the region, we're not really sure what to do, help us understand what the consumers want? Yeah. What advice do you give them? Look, I, uh, the best person who gives these watch brands advice is Mohammed, my cousin, because he's amazing. He knows product and he knows clients. So he's the one who you know always gives um, brands ideas. Some of them some of them take the ideas and and actually execute them. And some of them just, you know, say thank you very much and don't do anything with it. Um, and But those who, who actually take his advice do really good. Because, like I told you, he understands product and he knows what the client is looking for and he knows what's missing in in, in, their, in the product range of a lot of brands. Um, we've been very lucky that they respect us and that they know that whatever we ask them to do or whatever we advise them to do is not uh, because we have a hidden agenda or, or, or you know, it's because we really care about the brand and we know that there is a, that there is a gap somewhere um, and that's something amazing you know for them to trust us like this Hin Siddiqui Dubai Watch Week 2021 thank you very much thank you so my interview with Hin Siddiqui was actually towards the very end of the show these interviews are not going to be sort of played sequentially which I actually think is better um, as you said before these were recorded on scene so I like sort of the natural sound. You can get a sense of where we are and what's going on a little bit. Being outside there, it's actually quite windy, and being out inside, it's actually quite noisy, so there is no really perfect recording space, but I think the conversations come through. Um, Hind and the Siddiqui family had basically had a couple of days where 
they were exhausted, but also flattered at every corner because they put on such a good show. So I think it was really good just to sort of get the perspective of someone who's the organizer of the event right away. Yeah. So explain for everybody how come you were at Dubai Watch Week, because this isn't something you can just pitch up to. How does it actually work? Because I've not really heard anybody deal with it. Actually, I'm not sure if it was always this way, but as of this year and maybe the year before, Dubai Watch Week is an event that you can register to go to. And this is specifically for local people in Dubai who want to check out the watches as well as travelers from, from all over. People there had driven from places like Saudi Arabia, uh, Kuwait, flew in from, from all around the region to go to this event because it was an opportunity to see watches. You could buy watches at the event. And that's one of the things that makes it not a trade show is that while there is a lot of trade there, the real point of the event is to have, you know, people who love watches go there. I was invited as media because these types of events are great opportunities for brands to connect with media such as myself. And of course, the Siddiqui family in Dubai Watch Week would like people to know about it and know what's going on. So my goal is to cover the event, but it's also an opportunity for me to meet with a lot of the brands. A lot of the brands pay for participation there, and they say, while we're here, we'd love media to come, uh, especially since we haven't seen them in, in you know multiple years now. So there's sort of multiple things that are happening there. But at its core, it's a place where watch lovers can go to see timepieces and actually buy them if they want. So why is it that Siddiqui managed to do this, but that this doesn't exist anywhere else in this form, whether it be New York or Sydney or somewhere in Japan or the UK? It's a good question, and it's definitely something that other people can put on. There's nothing about Dubai Watch Week which has to be exclusive to Dubai. With that said, there aren't that many places where you have a powerful retailer that has a cooperative government that's interested in what they call cultural activities to draw uh, people there. Dubai is a city which is always trying to attract visitors and investment and uh, businesses and all types of attention, especially when it comes to cultural things. So that's a big deal for them. So this is actually something which is seen as, like I said, a, a cultural growth event for Dubai, in addition to something which is a commercial opportunity for Siddiqui. So they do have a lot of special uh, cooperation with the region. I'm just not sure that in every city around a watch event would, would have that. And that really makes it, it, it possible. Siddiqui is also a watch-loving group of people. They, they not just sell watches, they really, really like them. And, and that's important to say for them, they haven't seen watch people in a long time. They're just like, hey, come to us. We can actually put on an event. So I think they realize that even though it's a lot of work, they're able to uh, you know kill many birds with, with one stone, so to say, and it just made it worth it. So could it happen elsewhere? Yes, but having the right circumstances that make it particularly effective for the Siddiqui family are gonna be challenging to find. So in the context of other news that's been happening in the event world, namely the fall, finally, uh, it would seem, of Basel World, I think there was clearly some interesting commentary in there from Hind about the fact that they had volunteered to help Basel World out in the context of effectively a part of Dubai Watch Week travelling, which was the kind of horology forum section, which I think was in London Three years ago, would it be? Was there a... Something like that. Something like that. Do we think that Basel World missed an opportunity to stay alive by refusing the help of an organisation that clearly uh, know what they're doing when it comes to organising an event that people want to go to? 
Or was it always a pipe dream that uh, Bazawar would ever let outsiders come in and help them? You bring up some very interesting points, and I actually think the situation is more complicated than any one personality being able to save it. It is true that many people stepped in to try to save Basel World, help reorganize it, give it a new direction. Uh, Hin Siddiqui was one of, of multiple people, as I understand. And there's a lot of people that wanted Basel World to stay what it is. Also, in terms of the traveling you know, horology forum, you know, that's more sort of a, a discussion series, a seminar. That's not really the core of what Dubai Watch Week is. Dubai Watch Week is more the brands and the people and the clients and the media sort of all together in one place in sort of this nice environment where things are taken care of. The event just can't travel. It's sort of the way that they take care of people. It's really about the hospitality in the region. So there's a lot of things that go into it. You know, when you're at, at what was Basel World, you had to take care of yourself, find a place to stay. Not everything was right there in the same place. There wasn't necessarily scheduled events. There's a lot of ways that Dubai Watch Week makes it very comfortable and pleasant to be there, which is not really the case with trade shows where there's multiple stakeholders. So the fact that the Siddiqui family was very clearly the beneficiary, as well as the brands, and there was a lot of shared incentives, made it possible for that type of organization. At a traditional trade show, there's just too many disinterested parties to ever cooperate on making it great for the guests. What do you think the future is of Dubai Watch Week? What did you pick up from even just the facial expressions as you were asking these questions? Because what Hind was saying was that, you know, if you're there, then you get the right of first refusal to go back. You've got to assume that everybody was that was there is going to want to go back because it seems to have been such a rip-roaring success, but that they have no intention in the foreseeable future of moving to a bigger venue. Are all of those things true, or is the temptation going to be there to very quickly move to a much bigger venue? I mean, there was only, for example, there were no... Were there any Swatch Group brands there? No, this was sort of decidedly non-corporate. I think there was one one Richemont brand, which was Mont Blanc. And that's because of a relationship that Siddiqui has with Mont Blanc going back a long, long time. So we don't think that Mont Blanc next year is suddenly going to morph into Cartier and uh, be a Richemont brand. Some other bigger Richemont brand is going to usurp them. Here's what I know. The Siddiqui family is very dedicated to making Dubai Watch Week a regular installation every other year. They like the fact that there's a lot of attention that brands want to be there but they don't seem to want to grow it at all. They may have to contend with increased interest and accommodating more brands, which I think they could do, but I don't think that it needs to turn into a bigger event than it is. And they definitely don't need the exhibitor money. You see, a Basel world would be excited because each new exhibitor means more money. With Dubai Watch Week, it doesn't really work that way. Um, the main motivation is to attract local clients who will buy watches at the event and over the course of the relation with the retailer. So I don't think there's, there's concern that way. And it's true that the Swatch Group, for example, still doesn't have a what we'll call a trade show solution. And for the corporate brands, it, it, it's still sort of up in the air. But Watches and Wonders in, in March uh, and April, if it still goes on uh, as, as, as scheduled, as we all hope it does, is going to be more of that corporate trade show environment. So we don't expect that in the next Dubai Watch Week you're suddenly going to see a, a Richemont pop up in some other exhibition centre, the other side of town. And, and no, and, and part of that is actually related to the relationships that the Siddiqui family has with Dubai. I mean, ostensibly, there could be a corporate entity having a rival show uh, down, t you know, down, down the road, and 
the local authorities could say, you know, no, if you want to have your show, it needs to be a week or two later. They actually have the power to do things like that, um, you know, in, in that type of uh, a business environment. So again, that's very fortunate to uh, a well-connected, um, you know, company like Siddiqui. And just quickly before we move on to our next interview, which is with Christian Hagen uh, from Daily Watch, did the Siddiqui's retail all of the brands that were at the show, or is there a number of brands there that actually are just effectively pitching to the Siddiqui's to say, oh, here we are, we're this great brand, we'll show you all our stuff, maybe maybe you want to stalk us. You know, Effectively, was it a trade show in the sense that the only trader was the Siddiqui's? That's a very good question, and it's actually sort of all of the above. The reality is that most of the brands there are, in fact, brands that Siddiqui carries, but not all of them. Siddiqui does make the show open to any brand that wants to go there and you know play by the sort of even even playing field rules that they set, which I think are very very fair. Um, and then at the same time, there's a lot of people that come who are watch brands and don't have booths. And exactly like you said, they're trying to determine, you know, do we want to be in this region? Is Siddiqui the right partner? Siddiqui may be the biggest game in town, but they're not the only game right. in town, and they're actually quite okay with that. So. It, it is very much a democratic event in that way where all is welcome, and I think it's for the better. Okay, well, we started off uh, with going to the person who was effectively running and put the show together on this particular occasion. Uh, we're now going to move on, and we're going to hear a little bit from Christian Hagen of Daily Watch. Christian's someone uh, who I've known for a long time and been in the watch media space, um, and that's currently what he's working on. So here is Christian Hagen from Daily Watch. I'm speaking right now with a fellow watch coverage specialist. I guess that's what we call ourselves these days, Christian Hagen. Hey, Christian. Hey, Arrow. Good to see you, man. I don't think it's been... I'm trying to think the last time I saw you. I guess it was at Dubai Watch Week. It was exactly two years ago. Yeah. And, um, and here we are. And this is a very different event this year, isn't it? I don't think it's... I think it's, it's not different. I think it's more established, if anything. Also, we have to remember that every watch shown here, except that Rolex, is actually for sale. You can buy it directly here because they're all owned by Siddiqui. Does that mean there'll be less watches to see at the end of the show? No, because they have to pick them up next week. <laughs> so this is actually a trade show. But here's the interesting thing. I believe the Siddiqui family did something very clever because when they started to invite international press to Dubai, for what turned out to be a revolutionary way of introducing new watches, they made a huge impact. See, they started out in 2015, now it's 2021. I'm asking you, are they still making an impact? I think they always made an impact. I remember going to the first Dubai Watch Week, and one of the questions I had was, "What are your goals for this? You know, what is it you want to do?" And you know, they would sort of stand up and, and look at one another, trying to find you know someone who had the answer. And I, I think they were trying to figure it out. And I think they're still trying to figure out what the bigger long-term goal is. But what we've seen here is more brands, uh, more people, more locals, a lot more locals from before, and a sort of stewardship a sort of stewardship because right now what we see is them taking charge nobody would be here if it wasn't for Siddiqui's inviting everyone and so I think that type of stewardship of this section of the industry making sure that we are seeing and, and hanging out and participating um, I, that's where I give the Siddiqui's a lot of credit because this wouldn't happen without them pushing really really hard the brands aren't pushing for it mm. they are pushing for it I remember actually the the former CEO of uh 
of uh, Boston World. Uh, <laughs> now former. He's not attending this year. He's very much now former. I remember he was talking about the difficulties that Boston World was in, and it was a round table talk here at Dubai Watch Week. And uh, I remember that. And Hint just said, you know, you want to have your problem solved? Employ me and my staff. I remember we'll that. We'll solve everything for you. I remember How that. How funny was that? And she How could precious. probably have done that. What? What? If, what? It's funny that because when we, you and I first started doing this, Basel World was like an institution. It was. It was a monolithic structure that wasn't going anywhere. And all these little hokey pokey shows that would come up, they were the temporary ones. Absolutely. And now something that we didn't know would be a thing, Dubai Watch Week, actually has the potential of being outside of Dubai. I think what is interesting when, when we look at, at the brands exhibiting, because there are actually plenty of independent watch brands and they are enjoying quite the momentum these days. And it's good to see. So question is, did Siddiqui create that by creating Dubai Watch Week? Or did everything just happen during the pandemic anyway, where people started buying watches online and the, the independent watch brands having a direct line to the collectors and not being dependent on brick and mortar? I'll tell you an interesting thing that a collector said to me, and I thought about it a lot. And the context is everyone talking about independence. You probably heard it yourself, interested in independence, excited mm. about independence. And what he said to me, you know, I don't even think he understood what he was talking about, but he said that he liked the fact that you could deal directly with them. Yeah. You, you, there was people at the company to speak to. Yeah. They were happy to chat with you. The big brands, you know, the Rolexes and things like that, you can't talk to them. In a lot of instances, you can't buy their product. Watch collectors with money to spend on watches want to feel valued. And today, the independents are making them feel more valued than pretty much anyone else. Would you agree or disagree? No, I totally agree. But the problem is right now that the pandemic also created a huge demand for something that you couldn't get anyway, the Rolex, the Patex, etc. So they looked elsewhere and exactly they went for the personal uh, contact with the... But now the independents are having waiting lists. The Grunefeld brothers said, no more orders, please. No more orders. Okay, wasn't that a little hilarious to you? The whole watch industry is hilarious to me. Do you remember what I did for April Fool's Day? No. I basically made a joke that Patek Philippe announced they would stop selling watches. And then that's exactly what Gronefeld did literally months later. <laughs> no, they didn't stop selling watches. No, they, they stopped did. Like, taking orders. They, that's what I said. Patek Philippe would still have stores and still deliver watches. They would just stop taking new orders. It's literally exactly what I said would happen. It is. It is. It so, is. you know, the pandemic world has probably taught us all that um, the absurd can be reality really fast. The absurd can be reality. Right? That's your t-shirt. That's my t-shirt? Do, nice. do, you like, do you like this shirt? You made it. What does it say? This is the, the, the Seamaster dial. Clever. And right here, we're standing in front of Tudor's booth, actually. Uh-oh. With a very plain blue dial. A very, very no plain patents. blue dial. No patents. What are some of your personal goals here at Dubai Watch Week 2021? Personal goals? Wow. I mean, we, we're just growing as a company at Daily Watch, so it's, it's just hard work. Not a lot of, uh, not a lot of fun. It's funny, though, because we both got into this because this was our fun. This, I used to look forward to Dubai Watch Week, and I still do, mind you. Uh, but it, I, I thought when I started to come here, it was revolutionary. If you take Hint Siddiqui, she actually won an award at GPHD. 
because of what she did with Dubai Watch Week. It's fantastic. Now that we don't have SSS, well, we have Watches and Wonders, probably going to be live in 2022. We don't have Baselworld. Baselworld came up with this lame excuse that we need more time. Why did you even bother sending out a press release then? <laughs> it was it's so weird. But the thing is, do we need watch fairs as they used to be, or do we need a global Dubai Watch Week? Or do we need something completely different? Here's what I know. The in-person experience is inseparable from the watch industry. True. Nobody wants to learn about watches virtually. People want to meet. They want to talk. And yep. this is especially true with independents. Maybe Rolex has the momentum to keep selling Rolexes based upon, you know, social media pictures. And that'll take them a certain, that, that momentum will take them a certain distance. But I think what we're recognizing is that there's too much noise out there. The human relationship and your ability to see a watch in person and see how it looks on your wrist and how it plays with the light, there's no virtual replacement for that. So no. however format these take, having people get together and talk and meet sure. and converse and connect is inseparable True. from the the formula which is required for this industry to operate. Do you agree? Absolutely. I totally agree. But I, I think also... The Siddiqui family uh, are very fortunate of being uh, located in the Emirates, especially Dubai. And when I come here, I usually hang out with you know, the Dubai Watch Club guys and people I know from Instagram. Instagram has done a lot for the watch industry. Sure has. Uh, since the very start, this is also a social event for social media. Uh, you're doing a podcast, you're going to reach a global audience. We're going to do Instagram, we're going to do videos on YouTube and podcasts and everything for everybody not being here, not attending. And people are spending hours. Remember that little thing called Clubhouse, which completely died, but it was during the pandemic. So we spent so much time at home, depending on social media. Being out here today, and for, for many people already have not been able to travel for two years. This is heaven. This is paradise. Paradise in the middle of Dubai because we can. We can celebrate everything that we live and breathe for and collect. And uh, the, the Siddiqui family truly did something right. And they're keeping on doing it right. They're promoting it in a very human way, not social per se. And what are you hoping will happen over the course of, of the week? We're here at the beginning of Dubai Watch Week 2021. Yeah. What do you hope to accomplish or what do you want to see have happen by the time you have to leave? That's a good question because I, I always leave everything that I see without expectations. But what I would love to see is the industry to keep on doing. I'm not saying that the industry is doing well. Few brands are doing very well, especially the independent watch brands. Uh, but I think the Swiss uh, watch industry is, is still suffering compared to 10 or 15 years ago. Absolutely, the, the export of, of Swiss watches has declined rapidly, whereas the, the watches, the, the prices have increased crazy. So again, if you think about 150 million new middle-class people over the next 10 years, how can the Swiss watch industry even work with that? Can Rolex double their production? Can Omega? Because every middle-class man or woman, they want an Omega and a Rolex on their wrist. But they can't educate the assemblers. They can't educate the watchmakers. They can't just double the production facilities because Switzerland is a small country. You have to build into the mountains. So right now, 
I think it's a weird time for the watch industry because they need to grow to meet demand. But they're not even meeting demand yet. And a lot of the Swiss watch brands are actually suffering from poor sales. I'm not going to mention names, but some of them are in serious dire straits. We're not seeing them here. Of course. When we are here in Dubai, 2021, everything is perfect. This is a show of success stories. We only. can't see their smiles because everybody's behind a mask. <laughs> but still, it, we are celebrating horology in Dubai 2021. I hope we can keep doing that. I can't see a crisis coming on like 2009, 2010, simply because the demand of a mechanical timepiece keeps on growing. It's weird. Christian, thank you so much. Thank you, my friend. That was a good interview from Christian. He sounded very relaxed. I don't know whether that was uh, post-libation or uh, party or <laughs> no, no. he was right in the middle, right of, the middle day. of the day, but he sounded very excited. He, he did sound like uh, the uh, proverbial kid in the toy shop. Well, Christian Hagen is, like me, someone who first and foremost likes watches and is also a media person and likes to talk about watches and photograph watches and things like that. And so he has, you know, been sorely missing events like this. And the reason that I wanted to talk to Christian is we see eye to eye on many issues, but he's a fellow member of the media and he's also a veteran. I think that he's probably been doing this, you know, longer than myself. And so his opinion, his perspective is definitely valuable. Christian likes the fact that he can speak openly with me. That's not something which is always possible in the watch media space. And if, and, and if anything, I'm providing a platform for him to speak his mind. Oftentimes, he's only allowed to speak um, about watches and things like that, at least traditionally, if you're working for other publications and mostly say positive things. So here you have a situation of an opinionated person who has a lot of you know good ideas and a valuable perspective. And we're sort of chatting about it as, as veterans of people who have gone to events like Dubai Watch Week and, and others for many years. He had some interesting points to say, uh, the first up being the fact that everything that was there, with the exception of Rolex, unsurprisingly, was for sale. And it seemed in going through a number of these interviews that most brands that were there, I think uh, in a subsequent show we'll speak to Konstantin Chahin, and he basically sold all of his watches that he brought uh, and was basically having to hold onto them onto the, onto the stand because he wasn't allowed to actually give them to the people that had bought them until after the show was over. So clearly most of the brands have had a good show in that like you want to, a trade show or a exhibition or anything like that, you want to not bring any of your stock home with you. So what was your feeling about, because Christian also touched on a number of the locals, so presumably a lot of these buyers were uh, local uh, to the area, and it seems to have been a show very much where the local watch collector was involved, perhaps more so than in previous years. Yeah, there was a lot of, of people there that were, you know, local uh, enthusiasts, uh, both seasoned collectors who had enormously impressive watch collections of people just fresh into it. Having brands like Tudor and Oris and Norcane was really about inviting, you know, fresher faces that maybe haven't been in watch collecting as long or people just want something a little bit more, um, you know, basic sport watches that aren't, you know, diamond covered things because there's a lot of that in dubai and it's true it's there's a lot of money there and, and they like to show off the locals really do like watches and again if you think about it culturally at least if you're a, an emirati not necessarily just a business person living in dubai working there your traditional attire doesn't leave room for a lot of personal statements and yes. things like that your watch 
is really the one tool you have as an individual to distinguish yeah. yourself. And when you go to shake someone's hand, they see the watch because for the most part, you're, you're dressed um, almost identical. There are little differences here and there, of course, but at the end of the day, the whole point of the culture is to sort of create more um, egalitarianism amongst the people, but watches can change all that, right? Your status and your taste can be demonstrated. So there's a particular fondness for watches as a tool in that regard in the entire region. So that makes it very effective. The, the, it's, Dubai is also a very safe place. And so you have a willingness to show each other watches and people to be playful with watches, whereas other places there might be a lot of, you know, very nervous security guards and things like that. So the safety of Dubai uh, leads to a, a relaxed environment where people are very free to sort of sample each other's watches and hand them around and, and, and brands feel comfortable. Here, here's a million dollar watch, sir. You know, enjoy it for a few minutes and give it back when you're done. You just wouldn't see that yeah. all the time. Hey, what watches did you take with you? I took about eight watches really? with wow. me i don't even know if i yeah if i wore them all i was supposed to do a an interview with someone about a little collection uh, i just not not why i brought them but we never got uh -huh. around to it but i you know i find that i wear you know the watches that i'm interested in i liked wearing weird watches that you you don't really see very often. I'll give you a funny story that can only happen in Dubai. And this is, again, you have to be sort of a watch nerd to appreciate this. I'm, guess, I'm guessing that if people are listening to this show, they at least qualify as a watch nerd. So good news <laughs> there. So people that know me know that there's a brand um, called Nubeo uh -huh. that uh, was founded a while ago that yes. I like a lot. And I, I have a few uh -huh. of these watches and I wore one of my Nubeo watches. And okay, I didn't think much of it. Nobody mentioned anything at all. That's fine. But then I saw a young girl wearing a Nubeo watch. <laughs> and then I saw another girl next to her wearing her Nubeo watch. And it turns out their mother was the distributor for Nubeo in Dubai. And they had a store in 2007. They had a Nubeo store in Dubai. And I happened to run in to the family that had that store. And out of the blue, I was able to meet up with some Nubeo <laughs> fellow fans. And they didn't even know what was going on with the brand. And I was just like, wow. This is a brand that I talk about that no one seems to have any you know, awareness of. And here I am with someone that really does. What an interesting small world. And this woman's you know, two daughters were still wearing these watches, even though these watches were, you know, I don't even, they may have not even been born when, when these watches were made. These watches are not small. They, they had the 36 millimeter ones. Realize that there was, I've only seen the ones that you wear, which are uh, on the yeah. you know, yeah. larger big, side. Big. So no, that's good. Kind of leads into something that Christian was saying about Dubai having matured, perhaps, in its desire to collect independent brands rather than the traditional Rolex, Patek, etc. I was picking up that the collector community there has matured incredibly quickly. There's two things happening at the same time. First is the fact that indeed the collector in Dubai is becoming more interested in independence and things like that. And that basically just means they're, more, they're no longer interested in just Rolex and Patek Philippe, for example. The second issue is the idea that independents are popular today. And the reason why this is, in my opinion, is the fact that watches like Rolex and Patek Philippe are so hard to get that demand is flowing over into what is available. So as long as Rolex and Patek Philippe are impossible to get for the most part, the independents are going to have a great time so long as they can supply, which they can for the yeah. most part for now. Can we foresee that this is actually going to start to be a problem for Rolex, etc.? You know, in Europe, people can't get a Rolex, but I'm not sure they're quite as inclined to just go and buy an independent brand. 
I think they're more inclined to wait on the on the interminably long waiting list. Whereas in a big culture like the Middle East, where people spend a lot of money on watches, because as you say, the, the, the ability to use your watch to differentiate one person from another. You know, if the Middle East suddenly decide, actually, you know what? Rolex, pass A. Uh, we only, you know, we want all these indie brands. That could be quite dangerous for a brand like Rolex to suddenly go effectively off the boil. There's not really too much Rolex can do mm. about it. They're not going to increase production. And at the end of the day, we're talking about a subset of buyer interest for people who, for them, buying watches makes them happy. I'm a collector, which means when I buy a watch, it makes me happy. I don't wear it because I need to complete my uh -huh. outfit. I'm not doing it because I need to impress my clients. There are people that just want a watch to, quote-unquote, impress their clients. Ariel, none of your watches that you've ever worn have ever completed your outfit of sweatpants and a T-shirt. So I'm, I'm not, exactly, not concerned exactly. there. Well, <laughs> <laughs> I actually don't wear sweatpants in public, but shorts I, I will do. Um, <laughs> so the collector that wants a watch to make them happy, of course, likes Rolex. It's nice to get popular things, but at the end of the day, they're seeking a new watch experience. Mm -hmm. And because Rolex is unavailable, they're happy to go elsewhere for what they see as uh, another good experience. Now, that is some of Rolex's business, but certainly not the, the bulk of it, which is the mainstream. So as long as Rolex is still getting watches to some of the mainstream people, it's gonna be okay. Its relationship with watch collectors is not something which is very high in this priority list right now. Good, good. Well, I really enjoyed that little snippet from Christian, and we're going to move on to three interviews, uh, all with smaller watch brands. Well, not so much smaller as more affordable watch brands, maybe brands you wouldn't expect to have been at Dubai Watch Week when, you know, generally all the pictures we see on Instagram, on Facebook, etc., are of, you know, completely diamond-encrusted X, Y, and Zs. So we're going to have three interviews, uh, one with Oris, one with Meistersinger, and one with Nor Kane. So come and join us uh, again after we've heard from Rolf, who is the C Is Rolf the CEO of Oris or the owner of Oris? Um, he's not the owner, but for lack of a better term, he's the guy in charge. He's the guy in charge. So we're going to hear from Rolf, who's the guy in charge at Oris. I'm here with Mr. Rolf Studer from Oris Watches, the Dubai Watch Week 2021 role. Thank you so much for chatting with me. Hi, Ariel. Good to see you. This is the first time that I've seen you here at Dubai. Um, tell me a little bit about why Oris decided to come out for this wonderful event. Well, you're right. It's our first time at Dubai Watch Week, and we are so happy to be here. It is an event like the watch events uh, have to be today. It's very inclusive. It's relaxed. Um, you have time to talk to people and to interact. Perfect. Now, a lot of people, when they think about the Dubai watch market, and when you walk around the show, you see a lot of things, a lot of bling, a lot of very, very high-end. Some of the most expensive watches in the world are right here in this room. But Oris is a much more approachable brand. Uh, the statement I remember you saying is, real watches for real people. Um, talk a little bit about what it's been like to be sort of a more accessible, sporty watch brand here at an event that at least for, in a large way, has been cast as ultra high-end. Well, the way the industry changes um, is in a way that this is perfect for us. It used to be about exclusive luxury, where you exclude people, um, where it's about status, where it's about price points. 
Today, it's about sharing the passion for watches. And it doesn't matter what price point that watch is at, it just must make you smile and it must make sense um, as a product and, and as a watch. And uh, that's exactly what we, what we do here. There is very high end, um, there is a bit less expensive. We make a watch for the watch enthusiast that has to work for his money. And uh, we are ha very happy to do that and uh, to be here and uh, show our watches. And uh, we have had uh, tremendous feedback now being here. I think the consensus from a lot of other watch managers in your position is that the days of Baselworld are not only in the past, but not to be particularly missed. It was an expensive event uh, with a, a large rollout. Do you think that business can be conducted in the same way in the future without events like Baselworld? Well, Baselworld was to a large extent a um, trade fair. Right. Here it's consumers, it's industry, um, it's content, it's multiplication of that content, it's um, including people in that, um, in that experience. You will always need that trade element also. So there will, be, will have to be some kind of um, um, a trade element within the show, but uh, uh, what we see here needs to be part of that. So if that all comes together, I think we have a very um, contemporary concept that can um, lead us towards the future. You're a very observant and intelligent person and no doubt you've come here to learn some things. What are some of the things that you've learned by seeing the people here, judging their reactions and asking them questions? Well, I see um, a certain respect from rising and rising uh, price points. People ask themselves what happens if that uh, huge demand stops and at some point uh, the curve will go down again. So I think that's certainly um, a hot topic here. Apart from that, um, it's just a multitude of things, you know, that, um, that you learn and um, very interact with people that uh, you don't see that often and you meet somebody through somebody and uh, you just end up having um, very interesting discussions about uh, uh, many things. and. Um, that um, joy I take, uh, I take home with me when I uh, leave later tonight. Last question. You used Dubai Watch Week 2021 to introduce a new product. What was that product and why did you decide to introduce it here? Uh, well, we wanted to make some noise at uh, uh, Dubai Watch Week, of course, and we presented the new pointer date, um, Calibre 403. Pointer date being our most iconic um, family. Basically, we've made it for more than 80 years. And uh, the model we release here doesn't only bring back that complication of small second pointer dates, which we made in quite some quantities over decades as an in-house handmade, a hand-winding movement at the time. Now we bring it back based on our Calibre 400, which is contemporary movement, also our own in-house movement, um, five days power reserve out of two barrels, anti-magnetic, 10 years warranty, 10 years um, service intervals. So all things come together in a watch that's not vintage, that's not classic, but that's timeless in my opinion. Um, and feedback so far was uh, really good. So uh, let's see, the customers will decide uh, it will be a success, but I'm sure that it will make them smile as much as it does make smile us. Roll from Oris Watches the Dubai Watch Week 2021. Thank you very much. Thank you, Ariel. So that was Rolf, a guy who is well known for inviting folk to go skiing as part of his uh, press launches. I would just like to say for the record, Oris, or not Oris, I would just like to say for the record, Rolf, I ski. 
So anytime you need a buddy from the media to come skiing, Rick skis. Rick skis. So just putting that out there, seeing how it comes back to that me. That should be your 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 nineteen eighties uh, musician <laughs> Rick, name, Rick, Rick Skis. Oh <laughs> <laughs> uh, dear. Anyway, so Oris were interesting in that they actually had a release during the show. Did you see the new Oris yeah. pointer date with the small second subtitle? Yeah, I sure did. Um, look, you know, Oris needs opportunities to release stuff, and being in Dubai is a great one. They had a couple of new watches there, but I think for most people, the pointer date with the caliber 403 movement is going to be the one. The Big Crown series with the pointer date is nothing new, but now it has their exclusive movement, which has this five-day power reserve, and it's in a 38-millimeter case, which personally is a bit small for, for my taste, but there's a lot of people that love that yeah. size so there's an enormous amount of people who are like finally a watch with a cool you know movement that that's nice looking and retro that's um the size that i want so i think oris can do very well this is not an inexpensive timepiece this is i think it was about 3400 yeah. bucks so you know this is uh you know this is oris getting to a segment that it's not new for them but i think most people were used to spending about you know maybe two thousand dollars on an oris and so this is this is definitely a higher price point, um, and they do it well. They do it well, but once again, I think that Oris is among those brands that is trying to be in an upper class, and, and I think they can do it, but I always worry that they abandon the price point, which they're so well known for, at sort of a $2,000. I want them to sort of have something for everyone, so they probably will, and you know, the, the Diver 65, which is, again, a very popular collection for them, is in that lower price point. No, I'm generally speaking more a fan of the Aquas than the Pointer Dates, though for a skiing holiday, I will be a big fan of the Pointer Date anytime uh, Rolf wants. I will be joining Oris in Colorado oh, uh, in oh, January, and uh, we... And, and I will be mentioning that Rick does like to ski. Rolf was touching on the whole kind of real watches for real people in terms of Oris being a more affordable brand. Uh, what kind of interactions did you see them having with the locals uh, at Dubai Watch Week? Was there obvious interest from, you know, the day-to-day -day collector? There's, there, is that, there is that guy out there who is an Oris, Oris collector. Um, they also do well with women because they have sort of these retro styled sport watches and these sort of feminine colors that are very are very fun and, and relatively affordable. So I definitely think that there's a customer for Oris out in Dubai right now, but it is still a developing brand out there, as are brands like that, because it was basically you started in at Rolex, you know, if you were a young watch uh -huh. buyer, like why would you start anywhere else? And then you'd go up from there. So a lot of the people in Dubai would actually never even start at a price point. Uh, where Tudor begins and would skip right by that to like yeah, a Rolex. Yeah. So it's interesting to see people who may have not been, you know, into watches before. And what Aura says is that they are watches for working class people. If there's someone that wants to save up for their watch, it's not a frivolous purchase. Um, Oris wants to deliver a lot of value to them. You know, that's interesting because I don't know that in all parts of the world, people, you know, working class people aspire to own a mechan luxury mechanical watch in Switzerland for sure they do. But here in the United States, I'm not so sure. So it's kind of a, an interesting thing for them to say. But again, it's hard not to admire the brand and they def definitely deliver um, a good product. Good. good. Uh, next up then we have, now this is John. I've met, is it John? John Van Steen. Okay, I have met John Van Steen at an event in Scotland. So we're going to hear from John Van Steen from Meistersinger, a brand which I have to say was 
amongst one of the more surprising brands that uh, I found out was going to be Dubai Watch Week and appears to be really, really popular in Dubai. But let's hear from John from Meister Singer. John Versteen, Meister Singer Singland Watch Company, and I'm here for Dubai Watch Week 2021. John, so good to see you here in Dubai. We've, of course, met each other at uh, a lot of different events yeah, yeah. over the years. And what comes to mind is our meetings at the show that was Basel World, that mm -hmm. is no longer. One of the things that people have been doing, of course, is comparing Dubai Watch Week to the other shows. In your words, how does Dubai Watch Week compare to the other watch shows that you've been to? So besides, um, let's say, the climate, which is really hot, humid over here. Uh, I think the main difference is uh, the interaction between brands and consumer, what you see here. Of course, it's not a trade fair in the sense that you are uh, seeing retailers, but I think the very nice part of Dubai Watch Week is, is the interaction you have with the consumers as a brand, where you can hear their ideas about watches, what they found uh, find important, and I think that's the main difference between uh, a Basel world or Watches and Wonders and um, um, uh, Dubai Watch Week. The Dubai market, as well as the Middle East, is obviously very popular for many, many luxury watch brands. Talk about its importance to Meistersinger specifically. So, um, for us, uh, the partnership with Siddiqui is very important. Uh, not only about selling out and selling our products. Uh, we have four locations of Siddiqui, two here in, in Dubai and two in Abu Dhabi. Um, what's more important is the relevance of what Siddiqui has worldwide in the watches, um, making this event possible. Uh, and that's only because of the passion the Siddiqui's have for, for watches. Um, gives, uh, gives so much word out in the world that it's for us very important to have a partnership with that same Siddiqui. You mentioned earlier that this trade show is, well, not a trade show, but a show where you meet consumers. What are some of the things you say to consumers? What are some of the questions they have? How do you use this opportunity best to convey the Meister Singer message? So if I convert our message to the consumers, I think the main message is that we are a single-hand watch company and um, not many consumers are still aware of that. So the first thing is what we explain a lot, uh, but already less than compared to 2019, uh, is the fact how, the, how do you read the time on a single-hand watch? Because what we notice now, two years, two years later, that many consumers come in and say, yeah, I bought that one, I bought that one, hey, I have that one bought, and um, they know already the brand, and uh, my job here is then also not only to explain how to read the time, because the philosophy what's behind Meistersinger, so slowing down pace, be not always that 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 in a rush. That same philosophy is not so known to many people. So, uh, and once they know that philosophy, they become a fan of the brand. Many people in your position have very flattering things to say about the Siddiqui family, who is a owner of a large retail yeah. chain, as well as the organizer of Dubai Watch Week. What, in your opinion, makes them different than other retail families in other parts of the world? Sticking out their neck, making this project uh, um, able. 
Hey, because you can you can easily, as a Siddiqui family, can say, okay, I will. I have I have no interest in in, in having this show, or perhaps I organize a show where only for my customers. No, they invite also you guys from all around the world to make here to come here to not only talk about watches but to, to take part of forums to let's say discuss the industry and that's a main effort only thanks to the Siddiqui family because the easiest way for them would be we invite suppliers suppliers pay for the booth consumers come in they choose the watches and out again no the whole concept is tremendous when you come to the show in addition to explaining your brand and talking about your products, no doubt you're trying to learn things um, from other brands and from consumers and the questions they ask. Now that we're at the end of Dubai Watch Week 2021, yeah. what are some of the takeaway lessons that you have? Um, takeaway lessons, um, it's not as much as a lesson as more as a confirmation is um, that the interaction of towards consumers is so relevant for every watch brand. Um, um, we as Meistersinger, we, we focused in the last two years more and more on direct contact with our consumers. Not selling, because selling, therefore, we have our partners worldwide, our retailers, our distributors, but more how do consumers think about our brand? What are the difficulties or what, what is, let's say, what is not satisfying for the consumer toward our watches? What do they not understand? And how can we make our message even clearer? I think that's, that's, that's a lesson learned slash already a confirmation what we already know. John Denstein here at Dubai Watch Week 2021. Thank you very much. You're welcome. I think one of the points that John makes is that as a small brand that has to be very strategic, going to Dubai Watch Week makes a lot of sense for them. They get a lot of bang for their buck. There's a lot of people to see there. It's just sort of a testament to how effective Dubai Watch Week can still be, especially if it doesn't grow too big. But, you know, for every Meistersinger out there, there's so many brands just like it that would want to be there. So Dubai would have to be very, very disciplined at who it can let in. And I guess Meister Singer is lucky to to get in early, just as Hin said about the sort of right of first refusal for uh, current exhibit. Yeah, he was very much making the point that by the existence of Dubai Watch Week and the support of it by the Siddiqui's, the promotion of it, the creation of it was very much about the Siddiqui family sticking their own necks out, effectively putting their money where their mouth is, in trying yeah, to I mean, they're, build they're investing and develop in a community that's not just interested in the run-of-the-mill Rolex, Tudor, Patek, Breitling, Omega uh, type things, but actually could be persuaded to buy Meistersinger and other brands of a similar ilk, just like Oris that we've spoken about and Norcane that we're going to speak about shortly, Yeah, whereby they could build a community. And I think this touched on something that Christian said earlier on, which is about the personal contact that these brands can give. The big brands simply not only can't they give, but in most cases they won't give. It was very interesting that the chief executive of Rolex was spotted in Dubai, but the <laughs> fact that that was so significant just tells its own story, whereas a guy who owns a company or is in charge of a company like Meistersinger could get in amongst it. He spoke about how he was contacting his customers, 
but also not cutting out the authorised dealers, that it was about Meistersinger presenting themselves as a watch brand, but not cutting out the people like the Siddiquis that actually then sell them. Whereas a lot of smaller brands have tried to get into the social media, tried to meet the collecting community, but have also then tried to sell the watches to those communities at the same time. They're trying to do everything. Meistersinger, which I think is a very honourable position and a very good position, have taken one of, yeah, we'll do lots of promotion, but we still want you, our retailers, to be the people that sell the watches. Yeah, before we move on to the next uh, the next you know show and the next interview, um, I want to say, imagine what it's like to be someone in, in, in the perspective of these small brands. Um, you're sitting in this booth, and just feet away from you are consumers, and they get to talk to you. It's sort of like being at your own retail counter. You know, usually a CEO, you never get to interact with the end client, but here you are, the guy or the gal in charge for your company, and the end consumer is walking up to you, and you get to know their immediate reaction what products they like, which products they hate, their first questions. You know, One of the things that's most interesting is some people walk right by your booth and don't care, and other people look. And you get to see the watch on their wrist, and you get to say, okay, people that wear this watch ignore me, but people that wear this watch oh, like me. Yeah. It helps know who your target customer is. It tells you lots of information. So the intelligence gathering opportunity, especially for entrepreneurial watch owners like John, is so invaluable and it's actually much worse at Basel world because you're behind the scenes and you don't get to see yes. these folks. Yeah. So no, I, I really like John. I met him along with the owner of, oh, what's the brand? Mueller. Glasshutter. Yes. They all, they all, yeah. <laughs> Cause they all, they, they all, ha- Tilo, Tilo. Yes. Tilo is great. I love Tilo. They all hang around together. So, uh, yeah, it was the Tilo. At, oh, I know. Those guys It was the Tilo and John traveling circus uh, when they were in Glasgow uh, last time. So that was really good. So check out Meister Singer. I'm intrigued uh, as to how well these sell in uh, Dubai. Clearly, there's a market for the kind of Meister Singer shtick of, you know, it's not about everything having to be bang on accurate. You know, you've got one hand, you can just about tell that it's five past or five two, but you're never going to be able to tell that it's 11.57 and 30 seconds. Yeah, they're they're soothing to look at, but what they're trying to do is more artistic watches. So they have this new series that has a a representation of a part of the earth Mm -hmm. on it. Um, It's a little bit more artistic. The locals like that. They don't need to wear luxury watches in the sense that they were blingy all the time but they do like statement watches. So you're right, just a simple one-handed watch might not make enough of a statement, even though it's soothing to look at, but watches with art on the dial, that's that's good. Good, so uh, our final more affordable brand that we're gonna hear from is quite a new brand. New enough that they really got themselves tied up in the whole pandemic stuff. I think really this is Norcane only came on the scene maybe 2019 and then immediately descended into uh, the world of the pandemic, but have done remarkably well throughout, some great strategy. So let's hear from Ben at Norcane. I'm Ben Kufer from Norcane, and I'm at Dubai Watch Week 2021. Ben, thank you so much for speaking to me. We've been actually meeting each other at a lot of little events, 
um, as one of the younger watch brands out there, Norcane has definitely um, had an obligation to be as many shows as possible. Um, I saw you in Vegas, of course, in the past in Switzerland, and now here in Dubai. Explain, in your words, why it's so important for the brand to be present at these in-person events. Well. You know, for us, we're taking, we're just loving it. We're taking all the opportunities to finally interact again with the people because we've been a new watch brand launching in 2019. We, we had a great year. We were really enjoying it. And then Corona hit and we were forced to stay at home. We connected luckily, thanks to uh, like, like you, Ariel, connecting for a blog to watch and digital. But at the end, it was something that, of course, for us was difficult to accept that we couldn't interact with people to get the brand there. And now we're, we're really happy that these fairs are possible. We're really enjoying the interactions and the feedback of how the brand has developed and where people got to know Norcane. We have a lot of people coming to the fairs and saying, hey, I heard about you guys. And uh, that's, of course, very exciting for us to hear. And that seems to be the most important thing with new customers. They, they, they don't want to be the first to discover. There are you know, people like me that like new things, but most consumers need to hear about it. So you found that by participating a lot in digital media, by the time there's an in-person event, you're already on people's minds and they're excited to see you. Would you agree with that? 100%. I mean, that's what's most exciting, I think, also during these fairs now is to see that what we did during COVID and being you know, very active on social media, digitally, interacting with, with a lot of talks has helped us here at the fair to actually have a higher brand awareness. And, and that's, so this mix of offline, online is fantastic and we're really enjoying that. And what do you like about a show like Dubai Watch Week? It's obviously very, very different than other shows and uh, you're too young of a brand to have been to many other ones. Yes. Um, what do you think is special about this particular environment here in Dubai? Well, in Dubai, what I love is, you know, that you have all these brands very close together, which is uh, very rare to see all the brand CEOs here interacting, exchanging ideas that they've had and, and explaining their designs and their strategies. So that's really uh, unique. What I also really enjoy is the very high level uh, that you have here for watch connoisseurs and you have people really also they were leaders in taking risks in independent brands. In the past, already Siddiqui has been doing a fantastic job. So for us to be here amongst all these brands and, and you know, being part of the independence movement that in the last year has been you know, really picking up, that's something that uh, we're very proud to be a part of. Talk a little bit about the clients here in Dubai. You've had an opportunity to speak with some of the locals. Um, this event is special because it is a lot of collectors and enthusiasts. What are you learning about the market and what types of decisions do you think you're going to make over the next several months based upon what you've learned here today? That's an excellent question. You know, we just had a discussion about this last night and I think, of course, you have on the one side exclusivity. Uh, people want something different, which is a big movement. Huh? We've seen it in the last two years. It's starting really uh, away from products that everybody has to something that defines you. So luckily for Norcan as a young brand, it is something different. But of course, in addition, what, what do we have to do in the future? And I, I feel a high demand for innovation. A lot of people ask, well, what, what, what's different? What can you do? What, in terms of materials, in terms of complications. So in that regard, I think for us, Norcane, we're obviously in a price range where we won't be focusing on complications, but we'll be focusing on new materials. In a show like this, you're actually among the more accessible brands by far. Yes. This is a, you know, there's million dollar plus watches here um, and everything in between. And you come in the sort of more accessible range. Now, Dubai is known as being a very flashy market and the collectors rapidly uh, ramp up their collections. What types of clientele 
in this market in the Middle East do you find um, are attracted to your brand? What we're learning, it's, it's now, we've only been in the market now for two years, but what we're learning is that we have the collective scene supporting us. So literally it's a, a watch that is accessible, so it's an emotional purchase. We did some events here just in September where I came and we presented the brand and we had some, you know, collectors say, wow, that's a great watch and it's an excessive price. So they ended up taking one and today I met some of them again that, you know, passed through the fair and said, hey, you guys are doing great. So I think it's a collective scene. We're not yet, you know, we have to be realistic. Dubai is so big and so of course our, our marketing initiatives is not what's bringing us the brand awareness. We're doing it smaller. We're going to the collectors, trying to do a lot of events and talking to people and that's the customer that uh, we're, we're lucky enough to have today here in Dubai. Congratulations on your success. Thank you for speaking to me here at Dubai Watch Week 2021. Thank you, Ariel. Great to see you again. What was interesting hearing Ben there talking about how COVID affected them, but how, in a sense, having to focus on social media during the time of COVID has allowed them to like prime the market so that when folk can finally come out and see their watches and buy their watches, they're coming out kind of in their droves and they seem to be doing really well. I think Norcan are also teamed up with... The stuff out of the Kinesi. K- the Kinesi, yes. Movement company who are owned by who, Ariel? Putting you on the spot here. Um, is that the one with Chanel? Yeah, I want to say it's Chanel. I want to say it's Chanel, Breitling and Tudor, but I could be so far out. It's a consortium. It's a consortium. It's a consortium. We'll just tell it it's a consortium. Uh, so Norcain were one of the first independent uh, brands to take on movements from Kinesi. And yeah, it seemed to be doing really well. What do you think, first of all, of Norcane as a brand and of their strategy at the moment? You have to admire what Norcane is doing right now because, as you said, they launched during the pandemic and they have taken every opportunity they could to be at in-person events. I've been to multiple events that they've been show- they showed up at that happened during the pandemic, the show in Las Vegas included. They are absolutely um, militant in their goal and I I really have to admire them because they want to grow. They have a good product. They're nice. They have the hard work of growing a brand. The product is there, but they have to associate a lifestyle with Norcane. They have to make people think when you wear Norcane, you're part of the club of people that does this and this and that. And they are fun folks. And like I said, the watches are inspired. This month, you know, on a blog to watch, our giveaway is an experience with Norcane where a winner will go with me to Jackson Hole you know, sometime during the, the summer or spring to do some outdoor adventure stuff. This is very effective branding. You know, This is good stuff that they're doing. Uh, it's telling people um, what the spirit of the brand is. And you know, people don't really think about it, but brands like Tudor and Breitling and Omega have had decades to do this, or at least more years, and the, everyone had to start from, from somewhere in zero awareness. You know, Norcane has uh, a name that they sort of made up. So the, the letters Norcane is sort of, um, it rep- each, each letter represents a value they have. It's one approach to branding. It's, it's novel. You know, it's just the type of thing that needs to saturate the market. I have found that good ideas tend to need time to be discovered by enough people to gain sort of a critical momentum. It can be fast, like two or three years. Sometimes it can say 10 years. Sometimes it can take, you know, longer. So Norcane has to sort of have the endurance to wait it out, but they're going as fast as they can. And they do have, again, a good and and, and fun product experience. And so they have to maintain that momentum, which, you know, takes a lot of drive and they have to, of course, make sales. 
Cool, I did not know that about the name Norcane, but I want to rewind the, about the idea that you're going to go off and do an adventure weekend with them. Uh, do you know what they're going to make you do? Because, uh, you know, I'm tempted to say that the listenership should be petitioning Norcane to make, you know, do a tandem skydive or abseil or, you know, go potholing or something, that you should have to test out all of these watches in their situation. Uh, you don't strike me as the guy that's going to be, you know, climbing... You know, free climbing a mountain, Ariel. Yeah, I, I like I like safer. I do like the safer activities. Is true. Um, we're gonna go whitewater rafting. That might be the most dangerous thing we're doing. Cool. No speedmasters allowed then. We'll also be going mountain biking, which yeah, no, it's gonna be Norcane all the way. <laughs> so whitewater rafting, mountain biking, um, probably hiking and stuff like that. You know, I've never been to Jackson Hole. I understand it's one of the most beautiful natural places in the world that a lot of people like to go to and great summertime activities, great weather cool. up there. So I'm looking forward to it. I really like the Norcane people. We're also hanging out with one of their retailers right. that sells Norcane. That's sort of why we're doing it is the retailer is also involved in trying to sort of show off their their space and their, their lifestyle and they want people to go there. So it's actually gonna be a great thing. And like I said, people need to have the idea that when you wear these watches, you, you, you're part of a lifestyle. And brands, when they know you as a customer, they invite you to things. So it's not out of the question that a brand would invite you for a weekend in Jackson Hole. This is actually regularly how clients are treated, and we're just trying to make publicize. Yeah, it. I mean, I think it's worth me saying that I, I too also like white water rafting, just like I like skiing. And I too have never been to Jackson Hole. I'm just putting it out there. Just put it out well, there. you know, we, we should probably have some podcasts. Yeah, I, I think a live podcast. I assume that Catlin from the 102 podcast, who now works for Norcane, will be there. So there'll be experienced podcasters there, just ready to make a show. So I'm just, I, like I said, I'm just putting it out there. Whitewater, Whitewater podcasting. podcasting. With Rick. Yeah. So Rick Ski, what would, what would be my sporting name for, be like Rick Drowning or something? <laughs> no, no, you're going to be wearing the safety jacket. Don't worry. <laughs> anyway, good. So yes, you can enter. Is it a co- it's a competition on a blog to watch that you enter? Yeah, it's it's all month long. It's to, every December we try to do an experience giveaway. Actually, the last one was skydiving with Formex, and because of the pandemic, it had to be delayed. It's going to happen this July, so there will be the skydiving uh, thing happening. So aerial skydiving. Yes, it'll be my third time. Is I really like, enjoy it, actually. Actual, is that yeah. tandem or actually chucking you at a plane and leaving you to your own devices to pull the cord? You have to have like a, a certification to go by yourself. It needs a certain amount of hours in a course, which I haven't taken. So the only option is tandem. But, you know, the one thing I learned is that it's quite cold up there. So dress warm. Well, I, I, again, Formex, I've never been skydiving, although I'm actually okay with that. So... Yeah, you're welcome just to take Ariel. I, I do. I, no, no, Rick wants I, to go skydiving. This is the one. This is the one. Yeah, after the idea of going skiing, white water rafting, the thing I get invited to is skydiving. Great. We'll do like a Patreon thing. You know, get get Rick to California for skydiving yeah. in July. Make it happen. He's going to podcast all, all the way, way down. down. Jumping out of a fully serviced aircraft is not my idea of fun. But there we go. It's exhilarating. I'll bet though. it is. I'll bet it is. But uh, I'm happy to get my kicks from other exhilarating things, such as skiing and whitewater rafting. Again, just putting out the auroras, just putting out the arcane. Right. So that is our three, I suppose, brands that I maybe didn't expect. I think a few people may have been surprised that were there. A brand that I guess we would have expected to be there in days gone by, but where surprised was there because last we heard they'd gone out of business. 
I was HYT and Davide Serato, a man I met while he was at Montblanc. It turns out he's ended up at what was the defunct HYT, but is now the revived HYT. So let's tune in for the final interview of today from Dubai Watch Week with Davide Serato. And uh, Ariel can correct me on his name pronunciation uh, at the end of the interview. Here's uh, Davide. More Dubai Watch Week 2021 coverage. I am here with Davide Serrato, who was just named the CEO of HYT, a brand that has just been revived. Davide, welcome. Thank you very much. Welcome. Always a pleasure to speak with you already. It is great to be here in Dubai speaking with you. The last time that we had an intimate conversation was in Los Angeles. Absolutely. We were just talking about. And, you know, there's been a lot of working with you in Long and, of course, at Tudor. And now HYT is something totally different. We're talking different price point. Uh, the brand as it was before was very, very futuristic. Um, talk a little bit about what you're going to be doing the brand and how that fits in with your trip here to Dubai. Absolutely, but we are here in Dubai to uh, uh, create a little bit of buzz and to start uh, building up uh, the news of the brand coming back because it has been released just uh, yesterday, so it's, it's very recent. Uh, I'm delighted to uh, take over this fantastic challenge and I really love uh, you know, the, the futuristic, innovative, cutting-edge side that is behind HYT. I think that, you know, the, the technology is incredible and it's so rare to have a, a real USB in watchmaking. And I think the secret here is being able of uh, matching, of integrating with the same level of uh, you know, perceived value, sophistication, pleasure, the fluidic technology and the manufacturing movement and you know mechanical mastery together with the fluidic mastery to create something that uh, was not existing before and to push even the boundaries of what has been done since now. For people that don't know, uh, HYT basically stood for the Hydromechanical Horologists and it is a watch that has a liquid-filled capillary, which is used as an indicator, mostly to tell the, the hours. Um, now, Domine, in the past, when we talked about some of your design work, say, at Mont Blanc, we talked a lot about your own personal interest, your love of vintage cars, and things like that, and that really sort of rolled in uh, to all the watches you designed. What is the personal process you're taking to embrace the, the lover of futurism and contemporary design? How are you changing as a person? Absolutely, but it's a, it fits very much with me first. Uh, already around 10 years ago, I had a kind of side project with the idea of putting liquid into the watches. Uh, uh, I must say at the time was a little bit different, was uh, perhaps more liquid vintage. Now it's very futuristic and, you know, forward, uh, fast forward, future oriented. But uh, it was really in me somewhere. And when, you know, when we met, it was uh, natural some, somewhere. And uh, but I, I was, uh, I'm a kid of the 70s. You know, I, I lived these crazy years of end of the 70s, 80s, 90s, where, you know, this dream about a, a, a aspirational, creative, crazy future. The when, utopian future. Exactly. When we would have been, you know, colonizing new uh, 
uh, worlds and visiting new planets which was fantastic sure. you know then we, this dream was wiped up from the 2000 the big bag and you know matrix and all the uh, the <laughs> apocalypse and all the terrible things and now i must say with covid we are we not going better yeah exactly. we lived a little bit but there is something very interesting in the last four five, five years this dream about that different future and kind of adventurous future is coming back you know the race to mars the idea of colonizing somewhere else now the interest coming back for the moon all these rockets uh, uh, going everywhere and again this the dream of space exploration that is coming back science fiction that is coming back again so somewhere there is a you know a nice link between the first dream that we lived when we were younger that was very much like childish regressive and absolutely crazy and the fact that now many of the things that we were dreaming are happening you know are are, are coming into life and uh, i think there there is something that is really speaking very much to my inner creative self and it inspired me very much so we have been working now i joined the company first of july so we've been working with the team for now four to five months and uh, we have created a crazy design proposal i'm really really excited to uh to disclose this as always is the most difficult period you know the jedi one when everything is ready but you cannot yet disclose and you need to have this you know focus and moment of balance just to wait the right moment but i think we have something very strong very futuristic cutting edge colorful with a little bit of fun a little bit of you know craziness and a lot of freedom and creativity which i mean which i, I believe really you know fits with the with the brand dna that's fantastic now here at dubai as you are planning a relaunch it's an interesting opportunity to learn from what others have been experiencing in the last two years and of course you just arrived here recently but what are some of your goals here in terms of things that you need to learn um, information you want to get and opinions i've always been interested in what a uh, a new ceo is curious about before a public launch but the first thing the client the customer as always and here in the region we have a lot of uh, very passionate customers i already met some of them on the plane you know is a place where the technology the concept the futuristic touch is matching very much with you know what they are they are setting up here looking forward to, to something different and a little bit futuristic and imagination imaginative uh, and then i'm very much uh, you know always smelling what's going on around and uh, and uh, seeing this very interesting rise of the, the independence and really uh kind of magic moment for the independence so i really hope uh, we are coming back uh, uh, at the right place at the right moment that sounds looks wonderful. like looks that, like that sounds wonderful this has been a chat with davide serato of hyt watches thank you thank you ariel always a great pleasure davide was nice to sit down with me there you know hyt was not an official exhibitor by any means because they haven't relaunched yet but he happened to be a guest at the show and i ran into him it's sort of an indication of you know who you can run into at Dubai Watch Week. Um, you know these are people that fly themselves and go there essentially for the festivities and sign up as a guest. It's not just local buyers, but anyone can go. And he's there to tell people, "Hey, I'm back," and try to figure out who his retail partners are going to be, and try to develop his launch strategy. And so we sat down, and it turns out that it turns out that in January of 2022, um, HYT is going to announce a new product. 
which is is definitely going to be exciting. Um, I do think that it's important to mention that HYT sort of died and was resurrected almost in the same year. Almost immediately, somebody gobbled it up. So I, I had predicted quite some time ago that many of today's watch brands would fold and go bankrupt, and I was absolutely right. What I didn't necessarily predict is that there would be sort of a hunger for you know companies. And so what may also be happening right now is it might be a great time to buy brands. There's a lot of brands suffering right now. So if you're in the business of acquiring brands and there's a lot of sort of like idle investment money out there, this is probably a very good time. So um, it, from an investment standpoint, there's a lot of interesting opportunities in the industry. Davide, of course, is a beneficiary because now he gets to be the CEO. This is sort of a new title for him, and I've known him at multiple brands. So he's the guy in charge. Now, his task is not necessarily always enviable. He does have some great stuff to work with, but it's a tough thing. Um, you're talking about watches that, you know, 80000 bucks a pop. Uh, that's, you know, uh, you know, more or less. There's different versions. He's got to revitalize it while keeping it true. So there's a design challenge. Um, I've seen some sneak peeks of the stuff, and it, it looks it looks good. It's a little bit different, but um, I think it's um it's a little bit more mainstream, which is what the brand needed. You know, it'll be exciting to see what he does, and he'll give it a shot for a few years, and he might be wildly successful, or it might fall flat in his face. Not because he did anything wrong, but this is the way things go. This is part of the gamble with some of these brands, and you know you have to know that it can go either way. So. Um, in a sense, this is big risk taking for everyone involved. Yeah. Now, first of all, I think we've actually heard there what it would sound like if I did do a podcast while skydiving. So apologies for the wind noise uh, <laughs> on that particular interview. I I think this is a particularly interesting move for the new owners of HYT. Is this actually the first time that Davide has been in charge of a watch brand? Was he previously at Mont Blanc more like the design director and is that more of the role within HYT or is he actually now effectively the man at HYT? I think the difference is really when it comes to controlling budgets. Um, his positions were for, before maybe had him in a decision-making capacity when it came to company directions but he wasn't spending budgets. Right. Now he's being tasked with spending on everything from production to marketing, salaries, you know, all kinds of stuff and that's a whole whole new kind of ball game, and and not everyone's cut out for it. I'm not saying he can't do it. I, I, I'm fully, um, I fully feel that he could be competent in it. But it's 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 challenge. It's like, it's sort of like one of those, um, you know, captains trying to pilot a ship in a storm. Like you can be an amazing captain, but sometimes the storm just topples your ship. That's sort of what it's like these days. Or maybe like riding a bull. Like sometimes riding these brands and and making them grow and succeed is a challenge. I was quite interested to put this HYT with the Meistersinger because they're both brands that tell the time in a slightly different way than your standard either digital or two-hander uh, type arrangement. Uh, do we think the HYT is worthy of reviving? I don't know that it's up to any one person. I mean, if there's a market for it. Look, people felt it was a good asset yep. to buy. And they're going to make the best out of it. I've always felt that they were cool. I'm not in the class of people that could afford those watches. It's just not where I'm able to spend my money right now. So as a target buyer, it's hard to say. There's a lot of competition in that space. That's yeah, for sure. and so do we expect that the product they're going to bring it? Because I've tried on some XYTs in the past. No doubt you have tried on plenty of them. And they are absolutely stunning. You know, they look 
at first sight like, yeah, this is never going to wear. But I actually see when you put it on, it's surprisingly comfortable and surprisingly yeah, wearable, all things considered. But also not surprisingly incredibly expensive. Do we expect that what they're going to be bringing in in the new year is something that's a bit more dainty, a bit more mass appeal, and maybe a slightly lower price point? I don't think we're going to see lower price points. Um, it's going to be a little bit more mass appeal. He's got a lot of ideas. You know, the investor money probably comes with string attached. Like, you can't go crazy with R&D right away. But he has multiple ideas. He's already designed multiple products. He seems to be enthused by it. He is someone that tends to have good taste. So if he says it's cool, I'm going to trust what Davide yeah, was Yeah, was Davide fully decked out in his usual clothing attire in the sweltering heat of Dubai? Was there a bow tie present? You know, it was definitely a more casual him. But, you know, I think you're a different guy now. It's not, it's not the pre-pandemic uh -huh. world. He has to be a little bit more of a cowboy and a little bit less of sort of an academic now or like a design kind of like art studio uh -huh. guy so he's you know this is him taking on a new good, role good well i mean i absolutely wish all the best of david i think he's an absolutely epic individual and i love hyt as a brand so i hope it is incredibly successful uh, to touch on maybe in closing hyt a brand that struggled went bust me about if you had your pick of brands you know i come along to you ariel as a venture capitalist, Ariel, go crazy. Go buy a struggling brand or a defunct brand. Who are you, who are you hunting out? Who's on your hit list? You know, that's a very good question. I would look at it from a very different perspective than most people. Um, I know how important it is to be agile. And sometimes you're reliant on partners and you get very stuck in certain things you can't you know, change. So there's no brand that I would get that wouldn't have the necessity to have some changes. So for me, it would be about finding the brands that have the agility to pivot, to do new things, to respond to the market needs. Um, that's how I would sort of evaluate a company. Good, good, good. So in conclusion for this show, anything you want to pull out as an overarching theme from, every, from the interviews we've heard today? The whole reason we did this is I want to make sure that the world knows what people were thinking, how they responded, what the mood was like, um, what happened at Dubai Watch Week. This helps further the mission of the Siddiqui family that really wants to make a statement with these events and wants to show uh, the world how they think an event should be, and they're very successful at it. So for all the people that couldn't be at the event, this is hopefully the next best thing. Please go on to the show notes on the Blog to Watch website. Please do register such that you can leave comments on the show notes. We'd be really interested to hear what you think of what the individuals in these interviews have been saying, any other comments on these guys and girls' brands, just anything you want us to deal with in future shows as we go through the catalogue of interviews that Ariel has done. There's going to be several more of these episodes, so plenty of time to interact. Uh, so please do. You can do that all through the Blog to Watch website on the show notes and also uh, on Instagram. Ariel, we're going to be able to hear you with an interview on the Superlative channel, I believe sometime shortly, with Ed from Moser. Is that uh, imminent? Yes. Yeah, so um, I had a, a nice hour chat with Edward Maylon. Um, he is uh, one of the people running uh, H. Moser and C, and his family owns that company. Uh, he has been 
someone I've known, you know, basically since they started that, and it's been a very interesting evolution. This is the first time I've done sort of a podcast with him. So that will be published in a few weeks time. So if you want to hear more from Ariel and the one-on-one interviews he does, please tune into the Superlative channel, search on Spotify and iTunes for that. If you want to hear more from me, please search out The Wind Up Merchants on Instagram, Spotify and iTunes. That is us for today. We will speak to you again soon. We'll have another series of interviews. So have a great day, folks. Goodbye. Thanks, everyone. <laughs>